This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Good evening, and thank you all for joining us for this interview. I think this is a re- extremely important book uh, that Leah's written, especially for Muslim women. I think that you're going to get a lot from it. Non-Muslims, you're going to get a lot from it as well. I hope we can get deep and that we can talk about some important issues and not just be topical, but get deep in there and figure some stuff out. So um, to start with, I think I have a friend that's in Erbil. Who knows where Erbil is? Iraq? The, Kurd, the Kurdish? Great, wonderful. So I have a friend that I talk to every day in Erbil. And he brought up how there is one Islam. And I said to him, I said, I think not. I said, I think there's more than one Islam. I think it's expressed in many, many, many ways. And so as I was reading your book, Leah, and in the beginning of the book, you talk about how your mother converted and how she then brought the family into Islam. I was wondering if you talk a little bit about it, because what I got from the top is that the way you lived it in Detroit <laughs> and the way I lived it in California and how I came to it and how you came to it, vastly different, vastly different. And so... I'm thinking, would my Islam recognize your Islam and would yours recognize mine? And could we then say that Islam is a monolith? But how would you describe your Islam and how you experienced it from a child up? Yeah, so I think that right now um, with Islam, I do think it's one Islam. I think that we all just kind of practice it differently. Um and for me personally, um, I'm not like a well-read, I'm not a mufti or like someone who's well-read in Islam. Like I know the foundations, I know the basics. And I like to say that I am more spiritual than religious. And that's something that I wish that was taught when I was growing up is that it's less about the outer and more about what's in here. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that I got more spiritual when... I got divorced. I think for me, before I was pretending to be a good Muslim outwardly, so people wouldn't call me a slut, so people wouldn't call me, um, tell me that I'm a bad Muslim or a bad Muslim wife. So I, to lessen the name calling and to make others feel good, I would do um, the movements. I would dress a certain kind of way, you know? And so when the divorce happened, I was like, oh no, like this is not, like all this pretending still didn't help. You know what I mean? And so I definitely got more spiritual. I feel like in my connection to Allah, to God, got actually stronger after the divorce. And after I was like, I don't really want to be in this community anymore because they're so, they're not good people, but they're my people. You know what I mean? That brings up a good point, I think, that because you segued into your marriage. 
and to the divorce, but I'd like to back it up even further because you mentioned spirituality over actual religion. And, and for me, and for me personally, I believe that ritual and religion are an important part of practice, that being a Muslim is practice. But it's not a critique of you, but it is is just broadening the conversation so that I'd like to hear when you speak of spirituality that you've gotten more more spiritual. Can you kind of talk about how that informs where you are now with the religion, the spirituality part, and and that it's not separate from ritual or practice? Um, I think that for the most part, I mean, it's very interesting when you start talking about religion and stuff because everyone has like their own ideas of what it means to them or what it means to them as a whole, as a group. And for me, it's sometimes you can't really explain it. Um, it's just something, it's something in your heart. Like, mm-hmm. so let's say, of course, like in Muslims, we have the five pillars of Islam that every Muslim is supposed to follow, right? Mm-hmm those basics, those foundations. And for me, sometimes I can just go outside and look in the sky and I see a lot in the sky. I can um, go and enjoy something that's really amazing and I feel Allah's presence, even in the worst of times. And I do this now instead of, you know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, thank God for this when you're happy. But when we're sad or when we're disappointed or something happens, we're just like, like, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't care about that. I don't care about, like, I don't care about God or I don't care about law. And so me personally, I try to do this thing where I'm mindful of um, my spirituality, even in the really bad times, you know what I mean? And be grateful for even those, because who knows, it could have been like three times as worse. And so I try to do this thing where I do spirit, I, I put in my spirituality a little bit each day in my own little way. I might not be doing like textbook, you know, religious things. Yeah, I don't think many people do. Like, <laughs> let's be fair. I mean, some people, I, I don't know if they're doing I it for real, for real. I think some people try really hard, but yeah. I think I mean, it's, it's impossible. Hard to do, it's hard to do everything. <laughs> it's impossible to be yeah. perfect. Let's just be fair. Yeah. What's um, one of your favorite quotes from the Quran? Um, wow. There's 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 one, but it's leaving me right now. So no, it's okay. Come back to it. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Yeah, because I. But it's you know, when, you, when you talk about spirituality, and I remember when I converted, and and I was really challenged by language. I mean, truly challenged. And I thought, okay, if I could just memorize one important thing that really moves me, really glues me to the religion, what is that? And it was surely with every difficulty there's ease. Oh yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I I even write it down sometimes now without even thinking about it because it's so short. But it packed in that little few words is so much power. You know? Yeah, that is a good so good I, one. So I keep it close. Yeah. You know, I keep it close. But so Oh wait, I'm, I remember it now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it's uh, which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? I like that one too. That one's also very powerful. So that's that that yes. that speaks about being grateful. Yeah. And stuff like that. Because sometimes even myself, last night we were talking about privilege, mm-hmm. and there's like different levels of privilege, right? So as yes. like, um, I guess a lighter skin, like black woman. Um, who can do all these things, beat the face, do an outfit. I have privilege over someone who can't do those things, right? And so sometimes I'll be like, well, why can't I get this gig? Or, or why can't this happen? And I'm just like, what? 
wait a minute now. Surely with every difficulty, okay. there is ease. Right, like calm down now. Like you're doing, like you've gotten these big things, but like also yes. calm down and mm -hmm. humble yourself because like that's not always going to be the case. And so that's I have to right. humble myself. And That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. I love that. Thank you. Um, let's get to a more sensitive topic here. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but we did discuss it on the phone. We did. Uh, I so think. warning, warning. <laughs> um, I don't recall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. No, I do. We're, we're with friends. Yeah. Um, I just, I asked you a little bit how it might go across to ask you more sensitive things. Mm -hmm. But I think this is so, so important, especially among Muslims and mainly sisters here, okay? To talk about number one, mental health. And, and I'm so glad you really were very candid in, in your book. And my, my heart was just going bump, 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 like that she's really being candid about it. <laughs> Usually, you know, in Muslim circles, people don't talk so much about mental illness and diagnoses, they will talk more about spiritual illness and the need for prayer. So I was very pleased that you did not shy away from that topic. You didn't shy away from it talking about your mom, which is a very sensitive topic for most people. You didn't shy away from it talking about yourself, right? which is also an extremely sensitive topic. But before we delve, delve, delve into that deeper part, another issue in our community is domestic violence that doesn't get talked about that much in our circles. Um, but you did. And this is why I love the book, because you didn't have any boundaries. You was like, I'm going to talk about it. I'm gonna I, wasn't put it playing, out I wasn't there. playing games with it. You weren't playing <laughs> games. It was real. And... You know, people will get a lot from that realness, I think. Um, but here's my question for you. And, and, and it, when you were talking about your marriage, I believe the first one. Yeah. Okay. You talk about how you were the initiator of the domestic violence. Okay. And I, I, it's kind of like when I read that part, I was like, no, no, wait. <laughs> Let me back oh, it up yeah, a little she bit. Did. <laughs> she did say that. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. like, but it's so real. I could see my own self responding the way you responded. But with the sophistication and education that I have now, I know it's like, you're never supposed to get physical. You're never supposed to da 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 da, -da. You really just put it out there. You really just opened up and talked about your feelings coming up, but your feelings that were coming up was about so much. It wasn't just about him, right? It was about all this other stuff. Could you just start to talk about that a little bit? Um, so I think that, so when I was, let, let's go back a little bit. So when I first, um, I have, this is the fourth book I've written in my life. The first one is Trash, because you know, when you're an artist, the first one's usually trash. Um, <laughs> and so I have another book that I wrote. And the other three books were um, sci-fi, dystopian fiction. Like, that was my thing. I never once write memoir because you got to tell on yourself. Or that's what you should do when you're writing a memoir, right? And so I, um, the third book I wrote with um, my master's, my master's program. And again, it was fiction. 
and I had a nonfiction teacher. I wrote an essay about my mother. And he sat across from me. He was very stoic. He could he wouldn't laugh the whole semester. Like and, and like it was my goal to make him laugh. And I sat across from him and I thought he was gonna be like, Leah, your work is trash, like stay in fiction. He's like, Leah, in the 20 years that I've been a memoirist, I will bet my whole career that you're gonna be a memoirist. And I was just like, <laughs> not me. I don't talk about myself, okay? I live vicariously through characters of the fictional world world. And he's like, he starts cracking up. That's the first time he's laughed in the whole semester, right? And so I wrote this book with not the intention of getting it published. Um, I had just been freshly divorced. I had just been, um, I think, almost two years of not speaking to my mother, um, over 10 years of not speaking to my father for reasons that's in the book. And um, I was so angry. I had two master's degrees. Um, I had no savings, I had no job. I was forced to move back to Detroit with a man from Craigslist that I didn't really know. Luckily it turned out okay, because he was a very nice person. But I was very broken. And so in order for me not to hurt myself or others, I had to ask myself in the lowest point of my life, who are you? The answer that I got back was I am words, I am story, I am narrative. And I repeated that over and over again because that's something that I have always been since I was a small child. I, um, I trusted words, I trusted stories, I trusted narrative. And so when I wrote this book, I wanted to put everything in it that traumatized me. Some of the stories in there, it took days to write, not because I'm a slow writer, but because I was crying in between. Um, and so particularly with the domestic violence um, portion. Now, now yeah, focus. Yeah, with, with, with the domestic violence portion, I, if you follow me on Instagram and stuff like that, you know that I am very pretty much truthful with myself and others. I'm very blunt sometimes, too blunt. And so um, I didn't want to gloss over the fact that I was the one to put my hands on another person. Um, and that wasn't the only time either. Um, the other times I had gotten away with it because I'm a finesser. So I was able to finesse out those situations. As you can read in the book, you'll see what happens that last time. Um, but I, I allowed him and his emotional abuse to get me to a point where I would attack him. Like I would literally, I would try to attack him with anything I could find. And so I thought it was very integral to put that in there because Women also abuse men. Um, it's not just the one-sided situation. It's true. Also, yeah. I didn't want, I regret doing that too. So I wanted to put that in there because I wanted it to be very raw and vulnerable. And I wanted to like let people know that it does happen. And that's how I grew up. Like with my mother, when you got angry at somebody, you threw a computer at them. You throw a pant, cast iron skillet at them. You cuss them out. You pull out a knife. That's what I grew up with. And it's not just my mother, it was my grandmother. My grandmother would pull out guns, pull out um, tire irons in, in the trunk on people. It, this is something that just, it's not just me, it's generational. And so I thought it was very important to put that in there so I can really, really get into like what it's like to be involved in domestic violence, what it's like to grow up with domestic violence, right? What it's like to survive it. Yes. What interests me though was 
when I read that part where uh, he called you a slut. Now, you're his wife. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the one place you can be a slut is with your husband. Why is he calling you a slut? And then I thought, oh, man, that's that go-to insult to get you to do something. I dare you to do something. But it also triggers something in the gut of a woman who's anything but that, right? And I thought to myself, maybe I would have done the same thing she did. Maybe I would have just, like, lost it. Because that word trigger, especially in the framework of being a Muslim, and like you mentioned so often in the book, I wanted, I was, I wanted to be a good Muslim girl, right? And every time that statement came out, what is a good Muslim woman? What does that mean in this culture? We're African-American, black African-American. You and I both were raised up in big cities, right, in the Midwest, Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis. These are places where people are pretty rough. We're pretty rough. We're, we're thugs. Can be, be rough around it. <laughs> we're slightly thuggish. But, <laughs> but my, my, thing, my point is, is like, it, as I was reading it, there's that educated side of me, there's that Muslim side of me that wanted to say, oh my gosh, no, you're not being a good Muslim doing this to him. And then the other side of me was like, yes, you girl. <laughs> You needed to have used a computer. <laughs> Maybe something else, I don't know. But, you know, it's like that. How, how was he, ex- what was he expecting of you? I mean, I'm not, a- I guess I am asking you to read his yeah. mind in a bit, in a way. What did he want out of you? I mean, the word slut is just so shaming. It's just so defaming. Uh, there were body shaming uh, statements that he made, and yet he made love to you. And yet he was married to you. And and it was like this back and forth that was kind of like making me a little dizzy. I was like, oh, this guy loves her, but she's too fat. This guy loves her, but she's a slut. And I was like, okay, okay, I can't get this straight. So maybe you can I help either. me. <laughs> I know, like maybe I we should have been slapped for all those upside years. his head a few more times. But yeah, you know, the fact of the matter is, is this is those kind of complexities and relationships that are so maddening. But then you add on the layer of religiosity, where he, I think, was coming from. Right. We're in some kind of like perfect Muslima framework. You weren't that, right? But he was still with me though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And me and my friends who who have grown up with his family and who know him were just like, honestly, I don't even know at this point. Just like what what you were feeling, like they had to live with that for that many years, yes. and so had had I. And I think honestly, so um, and it's I don't think I really put this this in the book, but I honestly thought um, he kind of got off on me um, being angry at him. Mm. Um, okay. I don't like go further into that because I don't know if this is like gonna have kids like listening to it or not. Okay. But he would basically get off on me being no, like, I, yeah, I like verbally we, and physically. We get, we get yeah. That. Yes. And so um, I didn't really notice that until like later on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's not cool because I'm already up here with the anger. I didn't like, you know, 
thrown things. I didn't knock things over. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, try to attack you. Mm-hmm. And now you're, mm-hmm. that is, you know what I mean? And so that was something that he had going on mentally with himself. Um, and then also he was like, I think very codependent as we had this really codependent situation going on that was really toxic, mm-hmm. um, where it was like, I was kind of like the mother figure. Um, and yeah, I saw that. I could yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, and again, when you're in something, we got married young, you mm-hmm. know, we were like 19. Yeah. Um, didn't know nothing about nothing. You know? See, that's the other thing that just like, oh my gosh, I said, they're only babies. And and just because you're feeling your oats, you know, as this old way older people, you're feeling your oats, <laughs> you know, but you're feeling sexual. Yeah. And it's natural to be a teenager and to feel those feelings. But in, once again, in that container, the Islamic container, yeah. it's like get married. You're supposed to like get married. <laughs> yeah, get married. That's exactly you what know? happened. Yeah. But that just creates a lot of bad marriages, exactly. right? Yes. And if and if you happen to stay in it, if you happen to stay in it, because you're the woman that's like going to take the blows. Yeah. Because even though you threw the first physical blow, he threw a lot of emotional and verbal blows. And if you're the kind of woman who can stick in it. What does that say about you, actually? You know, um, I just I just feel like that those complexities are so real. But was he a perfect Muslim husband? Um, <laughs> I think in that's the, just an, I'm being snarky. <laughs> I mean, you know, I love a good shade. <laughs> that's my favorite thing um, to answer. Um, I think. In the beginning, he was definitely, I think, a lot better than me with his um, religion. Interesting. Okay. Um, he would like pray, you know, very like on time with his prayers, you know, fasting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed to come like easier for him with certain things. And for me, I was struggling. Um, during the end, it definitely got a little little mixed up because he came super like verbally abusive and I was kind of doing better because I had five years of therapy. And so as he, as I was going like getting better, he was getting worse. And it was interesting because my therapist would always ask me about him like at the end of every session. And I'm like, why do you keep asking about this guy? Like we're talking about like my know, daddy issues, right? my mommy issues. Right. And you keep asking about him. Like stop asking me. And honestly, what I think she was doing was preparing me for what was gonna happen. Because from the stories I had told her, I feel like she already knew. I didn't know. And so she was preparing me for basically our messy divorce and basically my departure from being, you know, a 10 years of a wife to not being um, a wife anymore. And so it was very interesting how it kind of flipped. I felt like also he was getting very intimidated uh, by me and I wasn't even I wasn't popping like I'm popping now. Like I wasn't doing half the stuff that I was doing now. I was like little photo shoots here and there. I wasn't getting paid or anything. He'd be like, oh, you're always at these photo shoots. Like you're always like, you know, you're always out and about. And I'm like, well, when I'm home, you treat me like an object and you're sitting on the couch. I say, hello, you ignore me. So it's just like, I am only here for basically sex and to make you food. And, and after objectified. that, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I'd rather just go out and do other things. And if you want to meet up, like, just let me know. And so he had a problem with that. Like, he just wanted me to be at home while he ignored me. And so it, I definitely, um, it came to a point where I would, like, get have accomplishments. It wouldn't even share with him because I didn't think he would care or he would feel weird or try to make it seem like I, 
you know, I was doing something wrong. I wasn't being a good Muslim. Did you love him? Yes. Yes. I felt that. Yeah. I felt that you did. I almost feel like it was unfortunate that you did. You know? That yeah. it, it was like, you're so young. And I don't think we can necessarily blame the religion that you married so young before you could even form who you were. You know, it's kind of like within the marriage, you're struggling to know yourself, selves, but that's causing the friction also is like, I don't know who I am yet. I don't know who I am yet, but we're having good sex. You know, it's like the bodies get it, but we're the souls and the spirits and, and so forth going and, and, and all this struggle. Did you mourn this relationship? Oh, for sure. I always tell people when I first got divorced, like I felt like he had died. Um, because like we literally grew up together, like all, yeah. uh, all of our firsts were together. Because you knew him before. Yeah, I knew him two years before we got married. Okay. So yeah. we were pretty young. Um, we didn't like it was so young, uh, just an experience. Like you know, two little Muslim shits. Like we yeah. didn't know anything. We just um, yeah, it was like he died, and it was interesting mm. because like um, I had kept like the pillows. Um, and the yeah. mattress. Oh my god! And so um, at nighttime, I would smell the pillows because it smelled like I really loved his smell. Like I really loved the way he smelled. And I would like smell the pillows. And there was a hoodie that we shared. Uh, I would smell that. It would be very like comforting for me. And so at some point, I had to throw the pillows away. So I'm like, you have to get over this. Like he's not here anymore. Um, and then even after the divorce, he was being really petty. And I'm just like. Um, this is this part is not in the book, but he had um, bought me a phone prior, like during our divorce proceedings. And I told him like, you know, I don't think that you should be purchasing me a phone because we're about to get divorced. He's like, do you want the phone or not? Uh -oh. It's a new iPhone. Still controlling. Right. And I'm like, yeah. I kind of do want the new iPhone. So it, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to keep it for three months and we signed paperwork. Keep, keep it for three months and then I will give you the phone back or whatever, but I'll pay, you know, whatever the prices are until then. So... The sixth week comes. I don't know who was in his ear. I need my phone back immediately. I was like, well, we signed a contract that I had three months to get, you know, get my other phone. And he was like, no, I need it back tomorrow. I don't care. I don't care. It's like, wow. So this is what we're doing now. So I ended up um, getting me another phone that was cheaper, you know, and then um, giving him the phone back. So I gave him the phone back. No, I didn't. I gave it to a mutual friend because I didn't want none to do with it. So... I'm at that friend's house because he he got it like earlier. And she, I'm like, oh, what happened? She was like, yeah, he got it. He was trying to talk to me about your situation. I said, I want to do with it. It's like, fair. And so he calls me while I'm on the porch. He's like, so they're saying that you owe $300 to turn the phone back in. And I was like, that's why, wow. We talked about this before. And he like, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs and the same situation that we had the same hurt and like anger was happening again and we weren't even married. I'm on this porch screaming, screaming. You're, you're seeking, and I hang up. You, know, you seek the familiar. Yeah, when I hang up, he, I'm basically like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? He's getting blocked on everything. We can't even be, we, we just can't, this is never gonna work. And so he's been blocked for like years now. He's been blocked it's for probably I think, almost three thing. years. Does he know he's in the book? <laughs> so through the, I heard through the grapevine that screenshots have been sent to him. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
So yes, I think that's the best revenge. I think so too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. What's it? Some, some saying, "Don't make, don't make it, me angry." I'm a, I'm an author, and I will kill you in my book. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Okay. So, but okay. So we segued out of the mental health thing. Yeah. And I, I do want to go back to that because it's so so important, especially in our communities that it doesn't get talked about often enough. And I don't think religion is an answer for mental illness. I think that it can be a very small, infinitesimal piece of it, but treatment, medication, are the two most important, I think. But I don't wanna get too deeply into that, but I I do wanna ask you, as as a young girl, and as you were growing up, you noticed. And I, I was like, how does she know this? You talked about how you knew your mother was mentally ill. Um, so I think we use the word eccentric. That was well, the word me and my okay. sister used. We didn't okay. necessarily we didn't necessarily know she was mentally ill mm-hmm. until I started getting help with my own mental illness. Um, and so me and my older sister people would always be like, your mama crazy. Like, your mom's crazy. She's nuts. You know, your Muslim mother is crazy. And we'd be like, no, she, no, no, she's just eccentric. And, you know, she's just, you know, she's been through some shit. She's just traumatized. And so then as we got older and started seeing the same negative patterns, because we wanted to save her so much, like her first two kids, my mom has like five children. Me and my older sister, like went to bat for my mother. We went to bat for her. And she doesn't appreciate that or understand that because she's me, me, me. Um, she's a Virgo. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and so she does not give credit um, to me and my older sister who were like, I mean, we're there, there. And so um, now when we talk about mental illness with her, she's very um, combative about it. She's saying that God got her. And I want to say, sure, it's not the devil. Uh-oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because I'm just saying, sometimes we think it's, but it's somebody else. Okay? Maybe, you know, it can always be a combination of you, things. And you don't, <laughs> right, we don't know. But at the moment, that's what I thought it was, because yeah. she was acting up. Right. And so um, she refuses to get any type of mental health help, but always advocates for us to get mental help. Um, and so right now, currently, we're going through some situations which I thought we were over that hump, but we are not clearly. And um, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see somebody who can who can get the help that they need and are so prideful or so stuck in their ways that they don't feel like they need it, but you need it. You know, they're good, but well, you, you're not good. And you know, the other thing is, is because I've dealt with this because I'm also an RN, is that when you're in the midst of a cri- mental health struggle, you don't necessarily recognize that you're mentally ill. And so it's, 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 it's a very difficult thing for those who are experiencing it from the outside and you're like, oh, please just take this help. And the person is going, but, but I'm fine, you know? And, and then you have to sort of understand that they're coming from a place of mental illness. And they and they cannot. I was the type of person not to make this about me, but just to fill it in a little bit. 
I never missed a Friday at the mosque. I never missed a zikr. I was a steadfast, you know, attendant of of uh, the functions at the mosque. I saw a lot of mental illness among the women. A lot of it stemmed from what you talked about in terms of seeking perfection and having people think that there is something called a perfect Muslim woman. And there isn't. There just isn't. Also, I think for us African-American sisters, when we come to Islam, we come sometimes seeking protection, protection from the streets, from expectations that we be, you know, a certain way sexually, a certain way dressing, a certain this, 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 those pressures that fall upon us in an urban environment. And the hijab, the abayas, the everything, it becomes like protection or a barrier between me and the streets, you know. That's how I often saw it. Now, I married a Middle Eastern man, so it, it was like there was an additional layer for me, you know. But after a while, I began to miss me, the real me that was buried under all those different layers. It was only this year I stopped wearing hijab, just this year. Can you talk a little bit about finding the you under all those layers? Hmm. Thanks for sharing. That was, it was, wow. Um, Yeah, it was, I think that I, little bits of me were peeking out while I was married, but every time I tried to to deviate from anything, like wear pants or rock a turban, I would get like, not beat down like physically, but beat down mentally. Like, oh, turbans aren't hijab. And like, you know, who told you to do that? Your friends, um, you know, that's not what Muslim women do. Like the pants, there's a story about my pants on Eid and how he basically went (laughs) off on me. You guys can read about that. I was like, I bet she looked cute. (laughs) I I thought I was cute. (laughs) He did not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, I tried to peek out and do things like wear nail polish, wear makeup. Everything was met with walls and concrete and fortresses. I'm like, the I The haram nail polish. Right, like the haram police all, yeah. every day, every day. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do nothing. So I tried to like, I um, we went to you know, therapy, couples therapy. And he's like, uh, I don't understand like why she doesn't love Allah. Like, I don't understand, like, why she just won't, you know, dress like a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I just, Conform. Yeah, I was just, I started busting out crying. I do love Allah. <laughs> like, just crying. Because, like, he just made me feel like I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. And so I think finding myself um, definitely came um, through my messy points. So to get a little bit you know deep in here um, when you leave someone or you get divorced and I think we've all kind of like dealt with this before you have this period where you're super messy and by messy I mean you do any and everything any and I everything we, I think we get it yeah <laughs> it's in the book yes. cop that and so during six months I was the most I, it's, it's embarrassing to even think back to the, some of the things I was doing because it wasn't me at all it's not, and I'm very sex positive, very. Um, but it wasn't me at all. Did like you I was that? doing this. Did you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was, I was doing this because I was trying to prove something. 
Like, oh, so he wants to be bad. I can be bad, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can do the exact oh, yeah. same thing that mm-hmm. men do. I can do that, too, you know. And so during the six months of mess, the last, the very last situation that I was in, mm-hmm. um, the dude ended up texting me some, you know, mess on the side. <laughs> he ended up texting me and I started busting out crying. So I, mm-hmm. fa- I FaceTimed my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Girl, he just texted me. I thought it was like just a one night thing. You don't text afterwards. I'm a different person this morning. She's like, you have been going hard. <laughs> okay. I said, you right, you right. And yeah. so after that, I made a promise to myself, if I was going to um, partake in the messiness, that it was gonna be for a reason, and not because I was trying to fill a void, not because I was trying to prove something, that I was gonna do it because I wanted to do it. And but, but so, why could I mean, here's my conundrum. It's like sexuality is natural. It is. If God didn't build it into us, then who did? I mean, we have a clitoris. Yeah. That is, thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Lord. Yeah. And we have just wonderful, we're wonderfully made, you know. Uh, and so sex was supposed to be part of our experience from what age on i don't know but i do know that somehow the message got really garbled about women and their bodies and sexuality because it it got into the control of men and if we own our own sexuality it's not messy to go and have sex with somebody no, I was you're attracted being messy, girl. to. No, I was being messy. No, I was, well, well, but, <laughs> no, I no, wasn't I, doing, like, there, so I'm very sex positive. I sure, just, sure. The reasoning behind some of the things, mm-hmm. it was totally on, not right. Well, but that's, per, that, yeah. that's personal. But yeah. I'm, I'm just saying in general that I didn't want to hear you judging your sex. You're, you're having, I hope you enjoy, enjoyed what you did. But it, it's like so often, so often I just see this side of our wonderful sisters and they're just like, I'll give you a short story. I had a, a, a dear, dear friend, her, she was talking to me one day and, and she, she was very shy and, you know, modest, like, you know, we're supposed to be. And I'm being facetious. <laughs> and, and she told me, she, she says, quite frankly, I don't enjoy having sex with my husband because he's too rough and he, and he wants to do oral. And I'm, and I'm not that kind of person. And I was like, well, what kind of person is that? <laughs> because I was like, I, whatever, you know, is on the table. Because I think the Quran says whatever, you know, between two, a husband and wife. I said, did you know the Quran actually gives you permission? You know? And she, she did, but it was like she could not separate the, that, the part your husband knew so well. I'm a slut shame you. I'm a slut shame you. And and that that slut shaming it comes from you're not supposed to to be a fully realized woman in your body, in your mind, in your anything. And I know that anytime you get out of control, all I have to do is bring out the the slut word and shut you down. But you surprised him, I think, and shut him down but, I always but do. my, my <laughs> i guess my point is is that it it was very disappointing to me 
to hear that grown women who had, she, my friend had five kids. I was like, sis, how'd you make them five babies and not enjoy any part of it? Oh my God, Lord, kill me now, you know? <laughs> but um, this is what we deal with in our community. This is what, and this is why I speak so out so much about women, girls being married off, girls who have not yet realized their sexuality and what the body is for and that this body is a friend to me and this body is wonderful and powerful, and, but too soon a man steps in to define it. This is your mind and your body is mine. Your sexuality is mine. Everything is mine and I control it. Before this girl can say, well, I don't like that or I don't want that. You see? So it's so important for me at this juncture in my life when I took off the hijab, it, it was symbolic of me saying, I'm owning it all now. I'm just going to own it all now. If I want to have sex, I will have sex because I believe that God didn't put conditions on it. How can you put conditions on it? So when you're saying you're being messy, I was like, well, messy is part of it. Messy is part of living. Every part of living is messy. The sex is messy. The not having sex is messy. Divorce is messy. Marriage is messy. Very. Being sane <laughs> is messy. Being insane is messy. Yeah. So we, it's, it's all there. But... And I want to move along a little bit because I think the conversation is really very beautiful. You're a survivor. You're a survivor. And you survived with flair. Okay? Well, life has its ups and downs and bumps and bruises. You know, I lived in the projects in Chicago and St. Louis. I, I've been through my bumps and bruises. There's something special about a woman who survives these things and ends up in Europe being a fashion model, right? <laughs> right? A black woman in hijab, mm -hmm. a Muslim. How? You know, just <laughs> it's out there, it's beautiful. And I think that that is, that is something incredibly powerful. Um, talk about that how you got from all of these things and somehow you wake up and you find that I'm here, I'm here in this, but you did it. Nobody did it, you did it. Yeah, sometimes I wonder when I'm like flown out somewhere or I'm in Europe doing something, I'm just like, how did this happen? Yeah. Um, because it goes so slow, but then it goes so fast. It's very interesting, this phenomena of like succeeding or, or um, dreaming about something five years prior and it happening and coming into fruition. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I, 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 liked, I like those underdog stories where it's like somebody you never expect, not just succeeding, but killing the game. Right, right. Like I, I love that. I love those stories. I'm just like, ooh. I also love um, when people underestimate me. I'm like, oh, do it more because you're giving me fire to add to my to my spark. And I talk a lot about like you know um, me being your permission your permission slip, not you know, just anyone's permission slip when they see me doing these things mm -hmm. like going to Europe or speaking at you know keynote and these 
random universities um, that I am rare. And I always told people that a long time ago when I was like young and just like just doing whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be somebody one day. And people would be like, okay, okay. <laughs> not, not, who, who looks like you who's doing that? And for a second, it's hard to get to me. And I think I might have mentioned it a little bit with the, the marriage and how he would try to shame you. But your size. And when I look at the cover here, I like the stance, by the way. It's like, yeah, it's a power stance. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, look at her. Um, musings of a fat black Muslima. Now, you use the term fat. That takes all the sting out of it. Put it out there. Say exactly. It. Reclaim it. Claim it. Rename it. You know, I have had, I think every woman has weight struggles. But I think it's very, very different when you're black and when you struggle with your weight. I want, could you just talk a little bit about how those two can be so toxic? being African-American and struggling with your weight. Yeah. Um, I think right now there's like a lot of common misconceptions about like black women who are plus size, right? Or fat or obese or thick, whatever you want to call it. And it's like what, I, what I'm getting and a lot of other black women who are plus size are getting is like you're hypersexual um, and you're not only hypersexual, but you're easy because no, you should be happy that someone's talking to right. you. Right. Right. You should be happy that I'm taking you out on a date. Right. Because you're fat right. and you're like second best, right? Exactly. Um, and then you have all the other stereotypes that go with being fat and black and stuff like that. Also, people think, I guess straight size I call them straight size people. Straight size straight size people think that because the thicker woman in the media is portrayed as like the beauty standard now that is, you know, easy peasy for us. But what they don't understand is that it's a certain type of woman in the media who is acceptable, right? The tiny waist, the big breasts, the deformed hips, the deformed Barbie hips, you know what I mean? And usually it's like white yes. passing women and the, right. and the Kardashian. It's not uh, us, yes. right? Right. Uh, that's the beauty standard. And right. so um, I always tell people it is not easy living in this world as a, you know, a fat black woman um, fat black Muslim um, in this world because I am immediately stereotyped when I walk into a room. That's why I do this thing that when I walk into the room, I pull my shoulders back, face forward, looking everyone in the face with flair, style, finesse, with education, with confidence because I want to dispel all of that when you see my face without even speaking. And so when I walk into a room and I've, I've had strangers tell me, who are you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I tell them, I'm Leah V. The, the energy I'm comes v. before you. <laughs> it's like, and damn. you are. <laughs> and we have a conversation about it. And it's just mm -hmm. like your, your energy is just like, oh, my, like, damn. Either people are very, very intimidated by me or they're like, oh, my God, this is like the greatest thing I've ever like been involved in. And so it's interesting how I get like this intimidation, but then I get the love and it's very imperative that marginalized women walk into rooms and own spaces and take up space. Even if you don't say anything, just being sitting at that table just speaks volumes. 
And so I make sure that I'm at at these meetings. I make sure I'm at negotiations. I make sure that every step of the way, you see my fat black face. And I've had people be like, what's this? And I pull out my whole portfolio. They'd be like, oh, she's not coming to play. I am not. Let's negotiate. And so you really have to be that person. Yeah. You have to. Now, okay. So <laughs> you talk about the angry black bitch. Mm-hmm. All of, I think that Beyonce calls her Sasha Fierce. And I was like, oh, okay, she gave her bitch a name. And I think all of us black African-American women have that stored away. It's in in there. She's she's like right right here. (laughs) She ready to pop out. Yeah. And she might pop out. (laughs) Okay. But but (laughs) I, I, I like her. I don't, I'm not willing to uh, label her and to make her a negative. I think that that angry black bitch has a place. And I think she came from a place of protecting the softer inner parts of us because we have those. People don't think that black women do, but we have those. Yes. You know, we cry. <laughs> And we hurt, uh, all those things. But I think the difference is in this society that we never have the time to take time off to cry and to, you know, really get into our suffering. Um, but I, I want to reclaim, you know, reclaim that angry black bitch, you know, and I want to give mine a name. I'm, I'm going to be you going should. home thinking okay, let me know like, what kind of name I'm going to give her. It might be Muslim. She might be Muslim. She might be. <laughs> Why can't she be? She can be whatever you want it to be. Hmm. Okay. But, okay, so we give her flesh. We give the angry black bitch, you know, flesh. She is us. She is part of us. And she stands like this, right? And she's the one that that appears when people call us names, you know, and 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 when uh, we're in situations where our vulnerability is struck. I can remember situations where I had taught myself to be vulnerable because you know we all black women mainly get accused of being angry black bitches when mm-hmm. we're when we're really not you know yeah. that's not what's out there but it's like if if you stand your ground if you're if you're assertive not aggressive mm-hmm. you get you get labeled very quickly and it's really easy in certain cultures like i found that when i was rubbing up against middle eastern cultures in the mosque that it was very easy for some for some sisters who are trained to be more docile and accepting of certain things to see me as threatening because I was not accepting or raised in that particular fashion where what men said was like the gospel truth and I'm going to cower, but rather that I'm going to question and that I'm not necessarily going to back away from you. I remember some, you know, coming close to blows in the 
<laughs> in the mosque a few times, ser very seriously, because I, I, I feel like there's like always boundaries, always boundaries. And this angry black bitch side of me um, always steps up to protect me. She's always there. Yeah. You know, and and I I want to love her and I want to accept her and name her. Can you talk a little bit about that angry black bitch? And I'm saying it, angry black bitch. Um, yeah, so she's <laughs> referring to um, the middle of the S, uh, middle of the book where I am fed up. I am mad. And they actually took, I had, it was actually a whole segment and they made me cut it down. So anyway. Um, <laughs> and so basically I wrote the angry black bitch cause I was just so um, fed up with everything. I was mad. Um, I was mad at Muslims. I was mad at white people. I was mad at my mother, my father, my ex. I was mad at the two master's degrees that I spent all this money on and didn't have a job. I was mad at myself for allowing Did you really things. think a master's degree meant you'd have a job? No, I'm kidding. No, I did. <laughs> I did, <laughs> like many of us do. I mean, I'm glad I got them, but um, I was mad at just everything. Mm -hmm. And so the angry black bitch is a, is a section of the essay um, where I where she is talking to me so it's basically that conversation that we've all had where it's me to me, right? Or you to you. And she's basically being like, fuck everybody. Just tell yes. them off. Yeah. Like, you know what? You tried to do, you tried to be a good Muslim girl. You tried to be a good human being. And now it's time to do what you want to fucking do. And do it unapologetically. Do it with sass. Do it with attitude. And so basically it's a really cute uh, essay where it's, I'm talking, it's me to me, right? And so um, I think that She's definitely still there. She'll always be there. But I'm definitely more refined now with it. I know when to kind of pick my battles. Um, if you want to see the thug, you, you can get the thug. But I think overall, I have the tools to kind of keep her at bay. But like I said in, in the story, the angry black bitch is something that we, it's, we all have a mustard seed of her inside of us. And life will dictate whether she festers or whether she stays docile, you know, dormant. And it's just really interesting, that metaphor, because, like, I feel like we all, everybody in this room has a mustard seed of that inside of them. And you'll see sometimes where she just jumps out and sometimes you'll see where she's kind of like, you know. But I think overall, she's definitely protected me when I need, when I need, when I need to be protected, you know, because I get attacked a lot, um, have been since I came out the womb. Um, and so you need that kind of barrier to assert yourself in this world because I will not be stepped on or over anymore that is over and done with and so if people want to call me you know angry black woman angry black muslim you know all this stuff I've honestly reclaimed it and if you think that's what I am then well that's power that's too bad that's power it's living yeah. in your power for sure and you know it's very it's it's difficult for women to claim power it's very difficult for women to claim space. And one of the things I did when I opened a women's mosque was it was about space, safety, being expansive in that space, you know. And I think that's one of the things all women crave. I don't care where you are. You want to feel like you can own that space that you're in at that time. And that's what I see you doing. 
That's exactly what I see you doing. And when I first saw you, when you walked in the door, it's like you said, it was like, there's an energy that precedes you, you know? <laughs> no, it's a wonderful thing. You're, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you. It surpasses attitude. It surpasses all of that. And it is an energy of oneness, okay? Wholeness. Because you become whole. A, a fragmented thing does not have the power of a solid mass of wholeness, okay? So the way I'm kind of seeing you is that the world fragmented for you many times throughout your life. And what brought you to this point was you gathered together and became this powerful, energetic whole, okay? And I think it's important to know, there's a thing in Japanese, I believe it's Japanese art, maybe it's pottery, where if something becomes cracked, it's prized. They fill those cracks with gold. And I think we have to remember that, that because you're damaged or cracked, it doesn't mean you lack value. You have more value. That's why I like that metaphor, that, that idea. So good to meet you. Thank you. I, I will be following you and supporting you, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And allowing me to ask you these, these very prime thank you. And, uh, questions. Thanks thank for having you. me. And thanks to everybody. Clap for yourself. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast. <laughs>